If you want to turn to John chapter 13, that's where we will be this morning. As you head there, uh, next Sunday, uh, Brother Bob Butler will be uh, bringing the word for us this morning. Where's Brother Bob? There he is. And uh, I know you're going to be excited about that. I wish I was going to be here to hear it, but I'll be on my way back to town from a, a pastor's retreat. And so Brother Bob will be preaching next week, and then the following week... Brother Will Merrick will be preaching. Um, wave to him, Will. I don't know if y'all met Will or not. So uh, the next two weeks, uh, you get a break from hearing me. So there you go. That's a bonus, right? So um, so that is what is coming up. And uh, then Bruce uh, Worrell, uh, he's going to be leaving on a mission trip this week. So I asked him to share a little bit about that at the end. So a lot of stuff going on. It's staff level. Meg is in Paducah for the next two weeks. Her mom had a knee replacement surgery, and so she's there kind of helping out with all that. So basically, we're just looking at John Bales and Heath to just keep the ship afloat. So best of luck there. Um, John chapter 13, you know, Jesus, uh, part of what is so stunning about his message uh, is that God is knowable. You know, like God is like God is like inviting you into a relationship with him so that you can know him. He knows you already because he made you. He knows everything about you. Um, But you can know him and you can know him in a personal way. And so this this relationship uh, is modeled by the fact that Jesus is constantly just inviting people to follow after him. And that is indicative of God's desire for us to walk in relationship with him all the time. And. Just like, you know, in, in earthly relationships, uh, sometimes things can get weird, you know? You ever had a relationship got weird? Just me? Okay. Well, um, they can get weird sometimes, and sometimes when something happens, either maybe you hurt someone, or they hurt you, or you both hurt each other, or you both think you hurt each other, but, you know, there's all these possibilities, and um, then it gets to the point where you're really not sure where you stand, and then it just gets awkward to be around each other a little bit, you know? Uh, if you've ever been dating someone and it's like you break up and it's like the, fr- the next time you're both at the same place socially, you know, and like you're both weird, all your friends are weird, no one really knows what to do. It's just terrible. Um, and uh, when I was in college, I was, was, was dating someone and she was a singer and I pretend to be a singer. And so we got asked to sing in a wedding that was coming up. And uh, so this girl was like, I want y'all to sing in my wedding. I think it'll just be the most adorable thing in the world. So that's what you want your wedding to be about is adorable duets. And so, um, she asked us to sing in the wedding. And of course we broke up before the wedding and, uh, assuming that she would want to make other arrangements. She's like, Oh no, 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 no. You guys are singing in my wedding. Like it's, it's happening. And so, uh, sure enough at the wedding, when the time came, we both got up on our separate, separate sides of the venue, of course, um, came up uh, on the stage, grabbed the mics, and sang uh, Endless Love, of course. Uh, yeah. It was awesome. And, uh, and so, of course, like, we're just like oh, rolling our eyes, but our friends are just dying laughing. Um, it's a long way to go to play a joke on your friends to ruin your wedding and wedding ceremony that way. But um, those kind of things are just, it gets, it gets weird. And that happens in any earthly relationship. And sometimes in a relationship with God, uh, it can kind of be that, that way too, for some reason. And I don't really think it's because he did something to us, you know, as much as we did something to him. Uh, sometimes we think he did something to us, but that's a whole other, other sermon. Um, 
So I want to look this morning at how Jesus deals with Peter. When, when Peter has done something against Jesus, and Peter probably isn't really sure what to do about that, uh, when th- things got difficult, how does Jesus handle him? And perhaps this can be a blueprint for us uh, in our own lives. Let's, let's look at where things went wrong. Um, in John 13, right after the, right after the Last Supper, he's, he's washed their feet. They've had the Last Supper. He's given the, the new commandment to love one another as he has loved them. So in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. If you skip over to John 18... This is after Jesus has been arrested. And all the disciples are obviously panicking a little bit. Starting in verse 15. So Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Uh, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. If you skip down to verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. That's a whole other sermon too. Uh, uh, He asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. So Jesus says, uh, I know that you think you're laying on your life for me, but actually you're going to, you're going to deny me not once, but three times. And it's going to happen soon, sooner than you think. And then it happens. And what a sobering moment it must have been to hear that rooster crow and for Peter to realize what, what he has done. And we probably all have those sobering moments where we realize, like, man, I just, I just did that, you know. I just hurt Jesus through my sin, through my rebellion, through my attitude, through my refusal to consider him. It could be all so many things, but just that moment where you're like, yeah, I just did that to to my Savior, to my Rabbi, to my Lord. So then Peter goes on and he watches Jesus die. He watches him be buried in a tomb. He hears that the tomb is empty. He sees that the tomb is empty. And then he sees that Jesus is in fact alive. And you can't help but wonder what was going through Peter's mind and heart the next time they were in the same, like, in the same place, you know. Probably a little more awkward than when you and your ex show up to the same party, right? Like, this, this is a completely different level of, uh, of unsureness and insecurity. And, I, and I'm just guessing, see, the disciples weren't superheroes. They were normal people like us. And 
If, if any of us had denied Jesus three times, just like he predicted, and we swore we wouldn't, but we did, and then it happened, and then we saw him, and we knew that he knew, you wouldn't really know where you stood. And your experience may not be just like this, but on some level, we can all relate. Whether it's self-preservation, or fear, or rebellion, or just doing what I want to do, or whatever it might be. Because the truth is, we all, we all mess up, Right? We all mess up. And in that, it kind of has a way of making us unsure or insecure about how do we relate to Jesus going forward from that, from that point on. Um, now, there's a couple ways you can handle it. I mean, you could, you, could be, you could have like just completely like humble repentance to Jesus. Like that would be like the ideal uh, is you did something to him. You humble yourself, come to him, acknowledge what you did. Uh, thank him for the forgiveness that the cross provides. Like just, I mean, you get, you do work with the Lord. Like that would be the ideal if that's how we all handled it all the time. But sometimes, you know, we just kind of rebel further. You know, you did something and you're like, well, if things are going to be, things might be weird between me and God, you know, like the last thing I want to do is go to church and sing about how much I love him. Cause clearly, I mean, I did this thing, you know, so he, how is he going to receive this love song that I'm joining in corporately, you know? And so, so many times there can be this distance where like when you've messed up, what you want to do is humbly repent and be drawn to him. But a lot of times we, we, it kind of goes the opposite way where we, we create more distance. We don't run into the prayer closet. You know, we don't, uh, we don't run to church. We, we don't run and open up our Bible and, and pray. We, we create that kind of relational distance, just like when it's weird between you and another person. So, sometimes we just... I've been waiting for that to happen. I've been waiting for that to happen. The slope in this room is a perfect, like, if you drop like a marble, oh, it's all over with. Um, sometimes we, you know, we justify it. And we're like, well, but I mean, God did this, so I did this. Or you know, this happened, so I did this. And you know, there's all these kinds of things. And just overthink it in general. So I guess the question to pose today is, how do we, how do we move from an unhealthy place of processing uh, what we have done to Jesus? How do we move from an unhealthy way of processing it to a healthy way of processing it? Like, how do you b- continue to become more and more that person who it just immediately, like, you know that I'm going to run to him? More and more and more and more. How do we get to where whenever we have done something that we should not have done, whatever it may be, that that is our tendency? And I'll give you a broad answer, and then we're going to look at something else. Here's the broad answer, is to focus on Jesus and his character more than you are focusing on you and your mistake. It's that simple. You're like, I did this thing. What do I do about this? Well, if you think, okay, well, who is Jesus? Like, who do I know Jesus to be? Like, that becomes your focus instead of you and what you did and why you did it and overthinking and all that kind of stuff. If, if you can, I'm not saying don't pay attention to why it happened. That's an important thing. But what is your primary focus? If it can be mainly him and his character and not you and what you did. That's going to help you become more and more and more and more the, the, the healthy like, person who knows how to process their mistakes. And so what do you, like, how do we focus on him and his character? Well, look, let's look at how he dealt with, with Peter. If you look over in chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples a couple times. In the beginning of chapter 21, there's a, 
they're out, you know, that's one of those, there's these like fishing miracle stories, right? They're out there fishing and they're like, we're not catching anything. He's like, throw them on the other side and they catch all these fish. And then if you pick it up in verse 9, so Peter and the disciples, they're on this boat and they're fishing and Jesus has just done another fish, like miracle with fish in front of them. Verse 9, it says, uh, when they got out on the land, okay, the, hold on, sorry. This is the second time, or it's the third time that Peter has been in the presence of Jesus. Verse 9, when they got onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid down on it and bread. He said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and uh, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although, although there were so many, there was not, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to, uh, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So if, if we're in a, in a place, whether, whether today or in your future, if you're in a place and, and you have done something against God and, and whatever it might be, and there's a part of you that is unsure or insecure about how, how he feels toward you, how he wants to interact with you. What do I do in this moment? This can be a guide for you. Let me tell you three things that, that we can see here um, that may be helpful. So his reinstatement of Peter, the first thing, first thing is that it was, it was a public thing. Jesus didn't, he didn't go up, like, like, he didn't, like, do, you ever have, like, your dad or, like, a coach or someone and be like, come see, you know, and, like, pull you off to the side, and everyone's looking, everyone's like, what are they talking about, what are they talking about, you know, and he has this talk with them, he sends them back over, and all the friends are like, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say, Jesus gets them all together, he feeds them, and they, in front of everyone, singles him out, and that, you might think this is, this is cruel, but I think this is grace. Because he wanted, like, Jesus wanted everyone to hear everything that he had to say. He wanted Peter to hear it. He wanted the other disciples to hear it. Uh, witnesses bring credibility to something. That Jesus' heart for us is a, is a public thing. Um, that, that his love for us, like he's so unashamed of that. He's like, I'll restore you right here in front of all your friends. I'll, I'll, I want everyone to hear how good we are. 
This is not a side conversation. This is not a, this is not, no, this is something like everyone needs to know that there's a, a public nature to our restoration, to our reconciliation, to our reinstatement, whatever it, whatever it may be. There's a public nature to that. And whatever you have done in private, Jesus has already covered on the cross, the grace that we've been singing about. It's, it's handled already. You don't have to pay for what you have done. That's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, uh, Tim Keller says that it's refusing to make you pay for what you did. Like, if you're going to forgive someone's debt, you're going you're gonna to not hold a debt over them. You're going to say, I'm not, I'm not going to make you pay this debt back to me. That's what debt forgiveness is. Because emotional forgiveness is the, is the same thing. And sin forgiveness is the same thing as God saying, yeah, you did it. He's not saying, oh, it's okay, Peter. It's no big deal. That you... No, I think Jesus is like, no, it, I mean, you did. You denied being, like, you denied knowing me. You denied who you are. You denied who I am. It happened, but guess what? I, you don't have to pay for it. I'm not going to hold that over your head. And I'm going to tell you in front of everyone, because I want you to know it. I want them to know it. I want there to be no doubt. I want for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church to be reading that story and to know how I feel about every single one of you. Is a public restoration. This speaks a lot to Jesus' character and to his love for Peter. Jesus saying, you know what? My feelings aren't hurt. Things don't have to be weird between us. Everything is fine. And you need to know that. He loves Peter. He loves you. He loves me. And so a part of the public gathering of the church is for us to process some of these things together. It's good for us to sing together. It's good for us to look at the scriptures together. It's good for us to respond and to pray together. It's, all these things are, are very good that all this is done out in the open because Jesus has dealt openly with every one of us. So the first thing is that it was public. The second thing is that it was very intentional. Now, this, is, this to me like goes next level of why Jesus is awesome. So he sets a very familiar stage. Here's a, here's a couple of things. Um, and there, some of this, I'm just guessing here. Okay, so don't, you know, might get to heaven. Jesus is like, well, you kind of got that one wrong. So be cool with me. But, but look, how, look how much is in this little story that are paralleled in other places. Like Jesus is, is not, he's just not random with anything. Like he puts this together in a way where he's like, I know Peter. I know how he's built. I know his personality because I made him. And I've walked and lived life with him for three years. Like, I know this guy backwards and forwards. This is a situation, like, this will get his attention. Look at, here's a couple of parallels. One, um, in the first eight verses, there's a fishing miracle. Well, the very first time that, that Jesus and Peter interact, we see him. Uh, they're out fishing. Jesus goes and says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. There's a fishing miracle then, a fishing miracle here. Could it be that Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to do this again because I want, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that first moment, that first uh, thing when you left to come and follow me. I, I, I want there to be a flashback in this moment, so I'm going to do this thing again. Maybe. It says that he, fe- he set out fish and bread for them. Could it be, I mean, they probably ate that a lot, so, so don't get me wrong here, but could it be that when Peter walks up and he sees the fish and the bread, that he remembers the loaves and fishes miracle that he was a part of? Is the same the same God like Jesus standing there is like, remember when I made like fed all like thousands and thousands of people? You know how I can do anything that I want because I'm amazing. Remember that? Maybe he asked him three questions about love. 
there were three denials? Was that like bouncing out? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. People make a big deal out of the different, different uses of uh, Greek words for love and all that kind of stuff. And other people are like, no, it's really not that big a deal. The bigger deal is that he's like three times. Like, why would you ask me three times? Maybe Peter was like, oh, because I denied you three times. And you want me to know that all three of those have been covered. Maybe there's some sort of symbolism there. There's a detail here that says that there's a charcoal fire that he made. When we read about his denials, what was he standing around? A charcoal fire. You ever been around charcoal fire? I don't know what a first century charcoal fire was like, but I know that now when I smell charcoal fire, I'm, I'm hungry. Could, could it be that he smells that charcoal fire? What if the last time he smelled a charcoal fire was when, in his denial? What if, what if God was like, hey, I'm going to make this a multi-sensory uh, like reinstatement? What if that was Jesus' way of saying, hey, I, I know what happened last time we were on a charcoal fire, but I'm not going to call you out in front of everybody because that, that might be weird. And this isn't connected to this story, but in Mark 16, where the angel is speaking to them after the resurrection, um, he's speaking to the women who were at the tomb. He says, uh, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And look at this. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And then you'll see him just as he told you. Even the angel's in on it. He's like, hey, Peter's probably feeling weird. He may not really feel like he's a part of the group anymore because of what he did. So tell the disciples and make sure Peter knows also. Like Jesus, Jesus wants him there. When I, when I look at those things, and again, maybe they're nothing, but maybe there's something. You know, Maybe God knows Peter so well, and he's like, this is, this is going to connect with him. And so I'm going to set a very intentional stage so he'll know that. Jesus knows how to connect with you. And here's, here's what I'm talking about. If ever you're like, I'm not really sure, you know, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't prayed in a while, I've been kind of frustrated with the Lord, or I've been really distracted, or I've been whatever, or I've been in rebellion and sin, I mean, whatever it could be. And you're like, I'm not sure, I don't even want to go to church, I'm not really sure, whatever. And then you go to church, and by pure coincidence, they play like your song, you know? I know for a fact, if we played Shout to the Lord with the key change, some of you would be transported back to a magical time when God was like, when you were first coming to the Lord. Songs do that to us. There's, some, there's something about that. And, and do you think that maybe the songs that we sing when the church gathers, maybe they're not as random as you might think they are sometimes? Maybe God puts in a song that you would have never seen coming, and maybe you didn't even know it. Maybe there was a line or a phrase... Or maybe it goes back to some time in your past and you're like, yep, that's the one. It gets me. We used to do this song called Jesus Blood back in the day. And every time I hear it, I, 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 can't, I just can't even make it through. Because it connects me to a very special time in my life where like, I was just doing some really specific things. And every time I hear it, I, just, I can't even talk about it, you know? Could it be that God strategically does that? That he's like, no, I'm going to gather my people. I'm going to use songs. I'm going to use scriptures. I'm going to use prayers. I'm going to use people. I'm going to use like a, a special place, you know, like a, what the GPS coordinates that there are places on the planet where you just feel like heaven and earth are just super, super close. Could it be that God intentionally 
comes after you with those things? Could it be that, that Peter was the prodigal son? And that Jesus, this is how he stands at the edge of the property, scanning the horizon. And maybe he's blasting a worship song. Maybe he's putting together a set list. Maybe he's sending an encouraging email your way. Maybe he's putting someone in your path. Maybe he's doing all these things because he knows how to connect with you. Here's my point. When it connects, pay attention. When something grabs a hold of you, pay attention. Especially if you're like, I don't know how God feels about me. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, he loves me so much. He, he sent that my way. That's what he does. Well, he does it here. Why, why wouldn't he do it for you? You think Peter is more valuable to him than you? He doesn't have to divide himself up. You and I have only so, we have room for only so many relationships in our lives. And God is infinite. And so he can love you as much as the next person. And the next person, that can just go on and on and on. He never has to divide his time or his attention or his love. And so he can get your attention. Lean into it when he does it. Grab, grab onto it. Just receive it. Don't push away from it. Recognize that, that he is the one that is coming after you whether it's songs or scriptures or communion or places or smells or people or whatever it might, whatever, whatever it is, don't resist it. See it for what it is. It may be, maybe, just maybe he knows you well enough to know. Here's the third thing. First, it was, it was a public restoration. Second, it was very intentional. Like he crafted it really, really specifically. And the third thing is that it was missional. Missional is not really a word, but you know what I mean. He, he looked at Peter and he was like, okay, uh, I'm going to restore you publicly. I want you to know that I love you and that you love me, okay? And that we are good. Everything that, what, what you did, you know, it's all, it's been covered. It's fine. Uh, we got work to do, son. Like we, we got, we got the, the business of the father in the kingdom to get about. We ain't got time for you to pout. We ain't got time for you to, to like question everything and overthink and all that kind of stuff. We got to get to work. And so let's, let's move through this uncertainty and, and whatever might, might be there. I told the angel to make sure you were here. I uh, did a fishing miracle. I did a charcoal fire. I got some fish and some bread. I got everyone here. You're restored. Do you love me? Yes, you do. I know this. Take care of my sheep. We got a church. We got a church to build. We got a kingdom to bring near. The Holy Spirit's about to come. It's going to blow your mind. So we don't got time for you to like pout. I think he was maybe a little more kind than that. But can you, can you just guess for a second as to how many Christians are so paralyzed by their own mistakes and unsure of how God feels about them that they never, they, they just, they never come home. They never come back to church. They, ne- they never come back to Jesus. They, it's because they, they don't know that. You know, it's like they're, they're not thinking about this. They're, they don't realize that Jesus is good with them. That he's already covered whatever it is that has you distant. That, 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 there, is, uh, that there is work to be done. John Piper preached a sermon at the Passion Conference years ago. And um, and I've referenced it so many times, and I'm not like a big, like, like, I don't wave the John Piper banner necessarily, but this sermon was incredible. And the whole premise of the sermon was that he believes that, that due to, um, 
to the sexual sin of multiple generations being unrepentant and the baggage that is there and, and like the, um, the, uh, I don't know, generations just not knowing what to do with, with that baggage has actually kept the gospel from going to the nations because it has so many Christians sidelined. Just that one thing. And I mean, I don't know how he knows that, but let's say that he's right. But let's say that it's all kinds of issues, all kinds of whatevers, that there are people who are convinced that God is upset with them because of what they have done. And so they don't live in the kingdom. They don't receive the grace and forgiveness that he offers to them. They, they don't understand that the way that Jesus deals with Peter in this, in the, here is the same way that Jesus deals with us. When he says, do you love me? He says, well, you know I love you. He's like, yeah, I know that you love me. There are a lot of people that don't know who I am. So let's, let's be about our Father's business. Let's be about the business of the kingdom. Let's, let's confess what happened. Let's acknowledge that the cross has already happened. And so let's receive the forgiveness that he offers us. And let's move forward. Let's heal. Let's grow. Let's, like, let's get after it. Daylight's burning. And so he did this in public, and he did it in a very intentional way, but he also, there's a, a mission that was there. He said, look, I'm about to give you the keys, man. Like, you're about to take this over. I don't care what you did. I got a plan for you, and it's going to blow your mind. It's going to change the world. And what he has for you is not less than what he has for Peter. What he has for me is not less than. He, Jesus looked at his disciples and he was like, you know what? There's gonna be, you're going to do greater things than I did. But I believe that we have an enemy who loves to keep us on the bench in our minds because we just can't believe that God loves us and forgives us like we see here. And so perhaps Jesus is beckoning to you to put yourself in this same situation. To realize that he's coming to you. He's looking you in the eye in front of all these people. And he's saying, hey, we're, we're good. That's what the cross is about. Receive the forgiveness I have for you. Like confess it. Confess what happened. Receive the forgiveness. And let me help you move forward. Because I, I have a place for you. Not just a heaven place. I have a now place in the church, in the kingdom we need to be about the, our Father's business. And we can't let the enemy lie to us anymore. And we can't let the world lie to us anymore. We can't let ourselves lie to us anymore. That there's freedom that I've come to offer to you. This was a moment where Peter um, realized what liberty to the captives was about, probably. What recovery of sight to the blind. What freedom to the oppressed. What good news to the poor. This led Peter into the year of the Lord's favor. To be free from that burden of how does God feel about me? And to know it and to receive it. That freedom Jesus offers to us too. To you as well. And so perhaps today is the day that it ends for you. You know. Of hanging on to this thing and not being sure how God feels about it. Maybe today is the day you confess it and you let him. You let him speak new life into that. And you get on with it. Because this, the rest of this year here at Living Hope. We're about, we're about to get, gain, start getting some traction. There's going to there's be some stuff going on. And so let God free you from that stuff. Let, let him free you up to be a, a part of it. And you know what? This might not be the case right now. This might be something that you tuck away because you may need this shortly. 
You might be in a great place right now, but someday you're going to need to know that there's a healthy response and an unhealthy response. That focusing on the character of Jesus and who he is more than you, on you and yourself, that's, that's going to get you down the road. And so whatever it is that he's stirring in you, um, you know, we're not doing shouts of the Lord. I'm sorry, that wasn't like a, like a, like a preview or anything. We might, I mean, you never know what Cody's going to do, maybe. But perhaps, perhaps he wants you to do something before you leave. Maybe there's something to confess. Maybe there's a conversation to be had. Maybe to come and kneel and pray. These steps will be open for you to do that. And Heath and John and Taylor are going to be here on the front row. And if you want someone to come and pray with you, uh, if you want to receive Christ for the first time, you're like, I don't think I'm even like a disciple to start with. They would love to talk to you about that and pray with you about that. If there's anything going on, they will be here. We are, like communion is, is one of those tangible things. It's, it's one of those things that God has given as a gift to the church for us to be able to do. It's him saying, hey, we're good. You know that, right? Here's my body and blood. We're good. And when you take it, when you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, you're saying, I, I know that we're good. I, I receive that we are good. And I'm so grateful. So you can pray, you can sing, you can take communion, you can do a combination of all those. But we're just going to we're gonna give these last few moments the respect that they deserve. That Jesus maybe has set a charcoal fire and some fish and some bread for us. Um, so let's just receive what he has. Let's stand together. God, I'm, I'm thankful. Um, I'm most thankful for this story because I feel like um, I feel like I've done so much more than deny you. And I'm always encouraged to know that the same grace that is extended to Peter is the grace that's extended to me and to everyone in this room. That you aren't working with a limited supply. That there is infinite love and grace and goodness for your children. And uh, it doesn't matter what I've done or what any of us have done. So God, in these next few moments, you know, before we dismiss and go our separate ways and do whatever, would you help us to be good stewards of, of a response to whatever it is you might be stirring there may be some who really need to be free from something that's been burdening them for so long. Would you give them courage? Some, some may just really just be encouraged alone just to, to know that they are in a good place with you and to receive that. Maybe we're burdened for someone else who, who is distant from you, is rebelling from you because they're hurt, because they just don't, they don't understand, they don't know your goodness. Maybe we're interceding. Whatever, whatever needs to happen right now, God. We don't want to walk out of here carrying the same burdens we came in with. So help us to, to cast those on you, to hand them to you because you care about us. May you be glorified in this response time. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Communion tables are, are open. You can come and pray. I just respond as you feel that.